This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thanks for listening to No Joke with Billy and Adam on the HeadGum Podcast Network. This is the show where we tackle a topic oh so loosely and discuss our previous, present, and future relationship to it. Today's topic was apologies. We hope you enjoy the No Joke Podcast. Okay, welcome back. It is the No Joke Podcast. I am Billy Scafiori. I'm Adam Lustig. And it is episode number 127. 127, Bill. Just go it. We're creeping up there. Just creeping. Now, I know that in episode 125, we talked about curses, and I don't know if we touched Yikes. on the curse of 27. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, we, uh, it was on we? the list, but we it didn't was like, read it. It was like on the list, but yeah, but we didn't get to it. And now we're at 127. So, we're Adam, one... enlighten us on the curse of 27. Well, okay, so a lot of famous musicians, specifically musicians, have met untimely deaths at the age of 27. Okay. Jimi Hendrix. Yep. I want to say Janis Joplin. I want to say Jim Morrison. Okay. There's at least one where Amy Winehouse wow. fits into that category. Does and I... Kurt Cobain? Was he 27? I think there's like one or two more in addition to that list. So Jeez. that's like the age of celebrity musicians mm-hmm. going down. Numbers. Curse. Cursed numbers. Yeah. We didn't necessarily get into that, but like the number 13. A lot of planes don't have number row 13. Yes. A lot of hotels won't have floor 13. I think that's so funny. Do you subscribe to that? I don't. The n- bad numbers? I don't. Lucky sevens? I know that we've talked about luck and we've talked about superstition even, but like, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I, I think that the elevator thing is, it strikes me every time whenever I'm in an elevator and the floors go from 12 to 14. I just think it's so. Are we conceding to superstition? I think to me, it feels like we're conceding to like a mystical force that isn't a thing. Right. And if you just like have a 13th floor, then it will just be that. And will it dispel that once antiquated idea that it, 13 is unlucky? In my mind, yeah. Ex- the more in, we see it in, in, the more we can normalize 13. Destigmatize the, the power. Power, the, the evil witchy power of 13, I think, is for the better to me. Right. To me. That being said, uh, six is evil. Six is straight up evil. Do not. Don't <laughs> ever go to the sixth floor of anything. Skip your sixth birthday. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, 127, Adam. We yes. have, what, quadrupled? What's quintupled? Uh, 27 a few times now. Yes. We've done huge chunks of episodes. Yeah. And uh, we will not apologize. Yeah, no, we will not. We will not apologize. We will However, not apologize for that. This episode, we will try and discuss <laughs> yes. apologies. Apologies. That apologies. Really great transition. Bill. Thank you. Really good tea up. Um, this episode, we're recording this uh, about a week and a half before it will go live. That's right. Uh, but one of the reasons why we are uh, kind of entering this conversation. We is, have it on the brain. Is that uh, today, Roseanne <laughs> yeah. Barr, yes. uh, her show got canceled. Yes. Uh, her agents left her. Yeah. ICM fired her. Yes. Um, every, se- I mean, every seemingly decent person has denounced her. Yes. Uh, rough day for her. Rough day for Roseanne. She apologized. She apologized. What yes. did she apologize for doing? Well, today, right. she, this, this, literally, this, it happens so fast, too, which is, again, something I would like to discuss, this, the way that, like, this culture of apology that we've created on the internet. But, okay, like, yes. to this morning, she made a horribly racist j- joke comment about Valerie Jarrett, who is one of Obama's something. I'm ashamed to know her cabinet members. Yeah. Something, something. Sure. Said something horribly rude. Valerie Jarrett is an African-American woman. She – Roseanne made some comment about her being like – looking like a cross between the Muslim Brotherhood and like an ape or okay. something. Just just horrific. Uh, the internet rage machine sort of kicked into quick gear. People just called it out. Right away. I mean yeah. she tweeted it. She didn't say she tweeted it. Right. So it was there for everyone to see. Right. 
Uh, and and the an outrage rage machine, like it, we shouldn't even put a label on. Yeah, it's it was like just, people just like called it out. It's like, hey, ABC. Wow. Hey, ABC. This woman is overtly racist. That's right. This is this is an example of her being overtly racist, of which she's been for a long time now. Years and years and years and years and years. Right. Yeah. So this was just say the straw that kind of broke this particular camel's particular back. She then tweeted next. Uh, I I apologize it for was, saying that thing. Yeah. It was, I'm now leaving Twitter. That's right. She then tweeted five minutes later. She yeah. did not leave Twitter. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of doubling down on her apology. That's right. And then a few hours after that, ABC announced canceling Roseanne by Rosie. So, which is like, you know, I mean, you can think whatever you think about it, but it just from a like purely capitalist sort of like, we know how like cutthroat this TV show business is and like people, you know, not much is done without the bottom line kind of being the number one priority. Correct. That's kind of why Roseanne was brought back in the first place, despite years of racism. <laughs> There's room for profit when, yeah. you know, this is like a hotbed conversation. Yeah. A right-wing family. Yeah. Like a, like a modern, quote, unquote, yeah. you know. And the first handful of episodes, it's like the highest rated TV show in the land and mm-hmm. everyone watching. It's all buzzing. ABC's number one show. Definitely. At the end of the season, it ended as ABC's number one show, yeah. which in any other world yeah. is a problem. Priority That's now. right. Right. So just for them to sort of make this – not not a gesture, but just the, the sort of – the swift act of pulling the show right away was sort of – I think it – I do think it's sort of meaningful because it do is – Do you think that she was on thin ice? Oh, man. She's been – yes. But do you think that they were like she – she, she has one more strike left before this happened? Or, or do you think that they treated her as a god? They were – she was a money yeah. generator for yes. the company. And then this one thing just – amazingly pushed her completely over the edge. I think it's some sort of combination of the two or three of those things. Okay. Because it's like, I just like if, Again, I'm not a Roseanne scholar. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but, you know, she – the original incarnation of Roseanne was uh, fr- from like – ran from like 88 to 97, I want to say. So far, you sound like a Roseanne scholar. It was just on tw- – I've been reading Twitter today. Good. So I'm really regurgitating. Good. I'm an excellent regurgitatory scholar. And we'll take it. Yeah. On this podcast, we will take it. We will this. take it. So please, barf all over and, me with knowledge. Oh, I'll Roseanne barf on you. <laughs> um, so it was uh, – but- <laughs> Let's just take a pause for a second. <laughs> And just recognize that Adam just said, I will Roseanne barf on you. On you. We were talking about regurgitation, okay, so and just... Adam said, I will Roseanne barf on you. <laughs> on you. And we're just going to leave that. Okay. There. Um, Roseanne was amazing. The original show, in my personal humble opinion, was phenomenal. Yep. And it was one of my parents, my mom's favorite. It was literally her favorite sitcom. Yeah. She would not only watch it whenever she could, but she would listen to it on the radio, which I always thought was funny. because it was How? Because it was always came on at like, they would run reruns at like 4 p.m., which is always when my mom was a school teacher. She was coming home from school around that time time okay but just like loved roseanne and i think it was like cbs am radio they would play te- like teleplays yeah it, would, it was just the rerun i don't know how or why or what or if that is still a thing i've never experienced i've never even heard of this now that i say it i wonder if i'm if i'm Look, making this up but i'm you sure are that I'm not. you are completely entitled to throw <laughs> yeah. one of these things at me where i'm like i've never heard of this before yes. because last episode we talked about mocktails <laughs> yeah, and minutes into know. it i realized you don't know you've never Anything. even heard this word before <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, before we get back to your mom's car for please. a second, worth noting, I visited you at corporate this week. Yeah. And Jake and Matt, when I was ha- talking to them, they were like, are you guys podcasting after this? Yes. I said, no, we just recorded one. What did you talk about? <laughs> Mocktails. What are those? <laughs> did they really? Yes. Okay. So like, so, I don't feel that so. That episode is not out yet. That episode <laughs> will be out when this comes out. Uh, it's going to crash and burn. <laughs> who, knew, who knew mocktails were so obscure? Crash and burn. Whoopsie daisy. Bad choice, Bill. That's so funny. Great choice, Bill. You woke up thinking about mocks. But Roseanne Unreal. was so popular 
popular that she would your mom would listen to it in the car. In the car, and she would listen on the radio. And like, what was kind of revolutionary about it at the time? So I gather I was five, but like uh, that it was sort of um, novel and uh, unique to have a working class family depicted on TV. Right. And like that, uh, TV was about wealthy families and affluence, or like money, and like there was never about it was never about like like being stressed about paying your bills right like that was the real life stuff that tv was supposed to be the escapist that was supposed to, tv was supposed to allow you to escape from for white people for white people <laughs> you know that's it, right because I, I feel like black sitcoms were a completely different narrative yeah, perhaps that's okay yeah yeah you know the struggle it yes, was exactly. like narrative was almost like hey white people live in a uh, white people can also be poor right that's right. Right. So, like, it was really – and the cast – I mean, give me a break. John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf, Sarah – I mean, all these, like – It's right. such a great – it was, like, such a funny, like, rich, yep. textured show. All the Beckys. All the Beckys. We talked about Dude. multiple Aunt Vivs. Shout out the multiple all Beckys. All the Beckys. Both Beckys. <laughs> exactly. Yep. They were d- double Becky? Double Becky. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. replaced Becky yeah. halfway through 88 to 97. Really? With a, just a different Becky. Brand new Beck. Just like – exactly. <laughs> Just like Aunt Viv, yeah. but they did it with Becky. Yeah. And I believe, and I believe I'm right, yeah. in this reboot, yes. they brought back both Becky. Oh, wait. <laughs> Lawless. How do they, how do they... Lawless realities. <laughs> how do they... Dan died in the Dan, series he's finale. Back, baby. He's <laughs> back, baby. <laughs> but wait, so wait, in the both reboot, Beckys. how do they coexist? What's the... New narrative. Doesn't matter. They build one out. Doesn't <laughs> They're not both – I don't believe they're both called Beckys, but they're both ca- cast members. God, that's so funny. So an embarrassment of riches. An embarrassment of riches. Right. But I think that like the weird like cognitive dissonance was that like Roseanne, the character Roseanne on the show Roseanne was like this hero of the working class. Yeah. And she do was – Do you remember what – I remember like a few seasons in, yeah. they started a family business. Yeah. Do you remember what their family business was? I do not. It was a roadside food stand. And do you know what they sold? No. Loose meat sandwiches. <laughs> And I remember being like a suburban kid, for sure, yeah. a suburban kid in Long Island, yeah. but also thinking, I don't like the way loose meat sandwiches yeah, that sound. That doesn't sound good. Philly cheesesteak is good. That sounds right. A messy sandwich is good. I like that. Loose meat loose sandwiches. Loose is tough. And I believe it was called the lunchbox. <laughs> oh. I can't believe these things I'm saying, Billy, and you... I'm positive I'm right. I trust you. You're saying it with full vigor and confidence. The lunchbox. You the lunchbox. Loose meat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the show was amazing, and it was a hit, and it was fabulous, and I just think that there was this, like, Roseanne, the character, was this working class hero. Roseanne, the woman, the actual human being, right. is, like a, is, like, sort of a kooky uh, human being with, like, political views that sort of are really all over the map and right. kind of crazy, conspiracy theorist this. And, and is it because she has such a problematic background that when she says an apology after doing something wrong, we say, too late? No benefit of any doubt. And that... No benefit of any doubt. And that's where your character, who you've been every other day except this one bad day, really should play into it. That's right. You know, where you weigh it out against all the other things you've done, said, and been. Yes. And when your whole background is problematic, it's easy and correct for people to say, you know what? This is the straw that broke the camel's back. That's right. If you – and especially because you are being financially enabled. Yes. To not only have a mouthpiece but a fat pocket. Huge platform. For being this type of person. Exactly. And so it takes a larger body to then say, all right, listen, we can't keep feeding the beast. That's right. Exactly. 
And I think that like it was it just became untenable to sort of keep sort of bending over backwards to be like, no, just the characters different than the lady. Like, don't listen to the lady. Just like watch the show. And it's about the values of the show, not the woman who creates it. Nope. And who like and you can't just... accept that with the president. You can't accept that with some lady on her television. Yeah, show. exactly. So you that know? just kind of broke down. So I think to your question about like, was this the straw that broke the camel's back or was it just like she was a sort of this cash cow for the network that they just had to deal with? I think it was like a little bit of both because yep. if obviously this was they only rebooted this months ago and there was a hubbub and an uproar then no one you know the sort yep. of liberal media sphere and the, the you know coastal elites etc they were really didn't want Roseanne back on there because she's so nuts right. she's tweeted really crazy things like dressed as Hitler talking alluding to Jews in the ovens talking about 9-11 conspiracy talking about this and just like crazy stuff that right. is like very irres- kind of like irresponsible don't pay her $150,000 a week ABC that's right something like that <laughs> but like I do have to say though and like we will like can dig into like our personal relationship with apologies I watched this this wonderful interview with David Lit- David Letterman has this Netflix show that's called like uh, – yep. Please welcome my next guest. Something, or something like, that. like that. Exactly. Right. Um, but he had Tina Fey on the show. Oh. And it was really great. And Tina Fey, just like I'm constantly amazed by her. Can I ask you all about that interview after the act break? Yes, please. That's, a, that's what, what a we call a tease. That's a real tease. OK, great. Tease Tina Fey. All right. OK. <laughs> OK. I can't stop. For those of you <laughs> keeping score at home, on the pun on the pun scoreboard, yes. Adam is up 2 it's, nothing, And it's just his his lead is growing. Yeah, or am I down 2 nothing? That's for you to decide. Well, you said yeah. Roseanne Barf, <laughs> so you are 100% up to okay, nothing. Adam, we yes. have to play a song. Okay, we could great. tease a fam. We also mentioned we, some of the people with the twenty-seven. Uh, the twenty. Oh the yeah, death of the twenty-seven. That's right. Do we honor a twenty-seven? That's right. Yeah, we, I think that Amy Winehouse. Amy perhaps? Winehouse. Do you is have so a good. I was singing Valerie this morning in the car. That song, Valerie. Done. One of the. That's best. her and Mark Ronson. Is it Mark Ronson? I believe so. Such a great song. Okay, let's. This is her.
across the border Welcome back to the No Joke Podcast. Today we are talking about apologies, and we are not going to apologize for playing Valerie by Amy Winehouse. No. What a song. But we are going to apologize for mocktails. For mocktails. Episode is off the chain. Once again, we apologize for that. Adam, we had we... you <laughs> singing N-O-J-K-E-P-O-D-O-S-D-Y. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I butchered that. <laughs> I put you on the spot last time. That's okay. I'd like to apologize for putting you on the spot. Please, I, I no apology necessary. Okay, but I appreciate the gesture. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> Adam, you are actually one thing I know about you. Yeah, I've been I've spent almost every waking minute with you for the last thirteen years. So many minutes. You apologize a lot. A lot. So I do too. Yeah, I'm not saying that you do it too much. Yeah, but that is one thing that when I heard you apologize, even just in the little colloquial moments. Yes. Assuming it's just better. This this interaction is better if I just apologize. Yeah. Um. It it I I realized it in myself too. I. I would used to do that in Long Island all the time. Really? It would just be easier. It's and I would just say I'm sorry. Even yes. if I'm not if, – if it doesn't even warrant it. Exactly. Even like on a bad pass on the basketball court and the ball goes 10 feet off, other guys will just kind of turn their head and walk away. I will usually say, verbalize that I'm sorry for that moment. You and me both, brother. That still happens to this day. We play ball right now. That happens right now. Sorry. We're apologizing for turnovers. Yes. <laughs> in the heat of battle. Right. It's not me – well, it is sometimes me getting mad at myself. But more yeah. times than not, I'm apologizing for my mistake. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, It's like, a powerful way to dispel status. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, oh, he's sorry. I can't – or she's sorry. I can't necessarily hold a grudge because if they are genuinely sorry, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then like what I've learned I – th- I think what I've learned or what I'm learning, I think, is that there is a fine line though. It's like I also am so prone to apologize. It comes as natural uh, – I'm sorry. It comes as natural as hello mm-hmm. or like breathing. It's just like is almost a way to – I greet people. A reflex. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hello, I'm Adam yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. deeply sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it – I think – I don't know what exactly that is. I mean I was def- – we were both raised by incredibly kind, considerate, thoughtful, polite There people. you go. That's true. All four of our parents are – and I'm not saying this braggadociously. I think they're ex- – specifically our parents are exceedingly polite. Correct. Exceedingly polite. I agree. So I think that like that's in there that you and I are just conscious of – um, being equitable and agreeable. Correct. And we really want to be agreeable. There you go. So, like, any time that we even sense, I, I know that I, I should speak for myself, I have a hair trigger sensitivity to when I feel like I have been even disagreeable to a, a even a spe- just a molecule or a speck of being disagreeable. Real. I feel like compelled to apologize. Real. And it's the type of thing where if you don't apologize in the moment, when you go home, is it weighing on oh. you? Oh. And are you the type of person where it's like, I'm going to email them an apology? It, 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 
It is the tiny little social infractions are the only things that eat at me. Mm. Tiny little real t- tiny little micro moments. I'll give you a perfect example. Please do. Perfect, perfect example. Please And this do. is like how apologizing to me is almost a compulsion and a psychosis. Okay, good to know. So like on uh, – we went to a, – a gang of us were at – including Marty and Amir uh, – were at the bar yesterday watching Game 7 oh, nice. of the Rockets Warriors. Very cool. Okay. Our dear friend Ben Schwartz was there. Nice. Okay. There were a bunch of people that Ben was there. Uh, the game was on. I was uh, – I had a beer. Like I was really intense on the game. Like I, there were a lot of friends around. My attention was already a bit scattered. I was like a little of overstimulated. Course. Yes. Okay. There's a lot that you want to pay attention to. Too. Exactly. So Marty's there. I go say hi to Marty, and Ben is there too. And Ben just goes, "Hey man, what's up?" And I shake his hand. It's totally normal and good. It's totally normal and good. I'm like, "Hey, what's up, man? How you doing?" And then I turn my attention back to Marty, and then I went over back to my table. I was like, "Geez, like, was I just rude to Ben?" Mm. I was like, "Micro moment. My, t- tiny, t- the teeniest, most inconsequential." Right. And we just said, we literally just said hello to each other. But in my crazy brain, that's like merely saying hello without some other extraneous. I think more people than not can relate to your feeling. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I'm a rude monster. Okay, so how long do you live with it before you address it? Do you address it? Next time I see Ben... You haven't you haven't confronted him with this? No, I mean, this is yesterday. Got it. So like, I didn't know if like a half hour later you went up to him and were like, yo, dude, I hope I didn't give you the cold shoulder. I was just interested and I was in a conversation. Don't think I didn't have the idea to do that. And I was like, let me just... Why, not act, why not act on it? <laughs> because, because... Aren't you then set free? Yeah, yes, that does set me free. But what I guess what the larger point I'm trying to make is that I think what I'm learning is that... N- that I don't need I that is not an apologizable offense that okay. ju- that like I think that it, what I'm trying to sort of gauge better as I become an adult okay. is like what really why like why are you apologizing nice. so much nice exactly why nice. like what are what are you sorry about exactly like right. why do you feel compelled to in every social interaction however small or large to right. be the most effervescent hilarious charming version of yourself and if you're like if, if you're and you feel like if i'm anything less than that warrants an apology that's crazy in that moment you were compelled to go back to the conversation you were in yeah but let me ask you when you sat down that feeling of you know like was that like did i give ben the cold shoulder were you feeling sorry like would you say that like sorry was actually like you like you might have like let him down in that social moment or was it like it was labeled as sorry, but it was something different. That, I think that's what I am. That is what I am right. continually curious and, and right. sort of w- eager to be exploratory about. It's right. like, am I sorry? What am I feeling right now? Okay, so look, we're talking about Roseanne Barr, and I, <laughs> I also want to get back to the David Letterman show. That's right. Um, but we are talking about Roseanne Barr for a second. Yes. And we said that her character yeah. made her apology feel a little bit more uh, transparent, a little bit thin, a little because, because we know who that person is. Right. A, everybody who gets to know you knows that you are a man of character. So we don't have to worry about that. That being said, thank you, Bill. You also apologize a lot. <laughs> and so if you do something that actually warrants an apologizable offense, yeah. <laughs> what if the person who's receiving the apology is like, he just apologized to me for giving me a limp handshake two <laughs> weeks ago. Now he did X, which is actually bad. And this apology, it's almost just like I have no idea what his scale is of what when he knows to be sorry. Great point. <laughs> Absolutely crystal clear, salient, fantastic point. Exactly. <laughs> pick, that's that's pick, exactly pick what I'm saying. Pick your sorries and exclamation points wisely. That's 
Well said, Billy. That should be on a pillow. Pick your well said. <laughs> pick your sorries and exclamation points wisely. At, you, they definitely don't need to be every other sentence. I am loose and liberal with both. Right. With both exclamation point right. and with apology. If and I'm trying to be a little more thrifty with both. I think that's a good plan. <laughs> a little more thrifty. I think if you are sending an email with the subject line checking in, <laughs> I don't think, and a lot of freelancers send emails with subject lines checking in <laughs> yeah. to potential employees or collaborators. They're checking in. Don't feel compelled to say, hey, sorry for checking in in the body. Maintain there the status. There we go. Maintain the status. There we go. That is not an I'm sorryable offense. Yes. You're checking in. Yes. So, I'm guilty of that. I'm saying it out loud to remind myself as absolutely, well. Absolutely, Bill. Just These are the little micro apologies, hyper polite people. And I'm saying polite, and that is, I'm not congratulating us. I'm just saying that almost as, as a matter of fact, like giraffes are tall and trees are wood. Like we are polite. Like it's not good or bad. <laughs> right. We just are polite. The Onion once uh, <laughs> reviewed No Joke, and they referred to us as uh, a human form of Bert and Ernie. That's right. Just exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just a little G rated. That's right. Yeah. So I feel so like just the Ben interaction is just a perfect, a really crystallized example Good. of the micro teeny moments that will legitimately keep me up at night Good. and keep me worrying and wondering. I think more people than not relate to you. I would hope so. Tell us about Tina Fey on David Letterman. Okay, show. that's all, all I'm going to say about this. I, do, I don't want to feel like I'm yammering here. No, I'm but very curious about Tina Fey on David Letterman. Tina show. Fey was so genius. My God, I'm just I'm like it, it was such a reminder of what a force, what a brain. She is incredible. How so? so how did she shine in this? I area? don't know. To me, she's just like um, – she's so socially savvy. She just has a twinkle in her eye that's like you're definitely the smartest person in the room for Got sure. Mm -hmm. You can just – I don't know. Like I'm saying all these ephemeral sort of like unquantifiable things. But like that's okay. she's just like brilliant and sparkly and you can tell within in one second of just like listening to her Quality. talk. Almost watching her listen. When you mm. watch someone listen, you could tell like how quick their brain works or something. Especially if you're a writer and Tina Fey is very much that. She is – you can just tell that there's a lot of processing power there, like an intimidating amount of awesome. brain power. Very cool. So I was really – And it was just on full display. Full display because it was just her and Dave chatting on a stage and that was it. And I was just like, wow, Tina Fey is a American icon. Cool. <laughs> She's incredible. But she talked about that – Charlottesville thing. So after the Nazis marched on Charlottesville with their torch, they SNL called up Tina Fey and said, you went to UVA or you're from Virginia yes. or you went to UVA. Correct. You want to come and talk about it. So she wrote a thing really quick on the plane. She was like, okay, yeah. Wrote a thing really quick and did the weekend update desk piece that was the sheet cake the sheet caking thing. Okay. Okay. So the, I don't know what that is exactly. Okay. So it the, the general the gist of it was like um, because like uh, maybe it was right before the protest they were announcing that they were going to march in Charlottesville I think it was like that weekend that they were going to do it and Tina Fey's whole point was like instead of going to counter protest these crazy Nazis which is what they want you to do which right. is like give them all the attention they want right. here's my idea get a cake sit at home and eat it Right. and then she like right. had a sheet cake come out and she started this. eating it and like okay and that was like it was funny and it was charming and it was like her way of saying like don't give these Nazis attention correct fine there was this big Twitter backlash yep. because a lot of people thought that the kind of the point that she was making was like – or like sort of – like sort of highlight her her white privilege of being like, oh, well, it's OK for you to just sit home. Like we don't have the privilege to be able to sit home and not fight for our rights right. and not like confront these Nazis head on. Easy for you to say Tina Fey in your gilded tower, right. 30 Rock SNL fancy lady. Yep. You can go sit home and eat cake. We're not really afforded that luxury. Right. So people got upset yep. and she got a lot of flack for it and yep. just the way that she sort of – 
sort of relates this story to David Letterman. It's very funny and sort of telling and charming that she is not on the internet. She says she's not on Twitter. She's yep. not on really not that sort of plugged in. Yep. But she was getting texts from friends along the lines of like, no matter what anyone says, we're still with you. And she was like, <laughs> um, <textualized. laughs> yeah, yeah. And she was like, um, no matter what anyone says, you're still with me. Yeah. <laughs> Just like good getting, to know. Yeah, yeah. Getting spooked. But she said something that I thought was so good. She said that I wish and David Letterman was very complimentary about the piece. She thought it was so great and wonderful. And she was like, I, I do have regrets about it. And I feel badly about it because I take – I do understand why people were sort of rubbed the wrong way. Of course. And she said what I wish I had said or you know, the note that I wish it had ended on was yeah. like fight these Nazis in every way except the way they want you to. Mm-hmm. So like you don't need to – you know what I mean? Like that was the spirit of what she was saying. Not sit home and don't care. And, yeah, and that is one of the trappings of SNL. Yes. You don't get a second draft. You don't get a second draft. And she wrote it in really quick. And she said – I. But she said, I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to apologize for it because I don't – I'm not going to participate in this culture of apology. I choose uh-huh. not to participate in that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn. I'm going to absorb it cool. and I'm going to improve and better – I will learn from this and I will do better next time. And I think her character warrants that response. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's a really great point is that like she has built – she has established herself. She has enough like social credibility and – yeah, her, we know her character. Yep. And we know her as like a decent, good, menschy human being. Yep. So like she's afforded that. Afforded that. She'll listen, she'll learn, and she'll move on. That's right. Good. But yes, exactly. But like culture of ap- apology and like choosing not to participate in it because like people freak out. Like Twitter can – that, you know, you get, you oh, get hot under the collar. Like oh. that Twitter mob comes after you and it's scary. Doesn't you're, No one is safe. <laughs> it's scary, man. No one is safe. Yeah. I say that we take a breath. Okay, great. Because we don't need to be so scared. You're right. I'm not scared. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared. I'm just going to take this. a breath. You know what makes me comfortable, Adam? Yes, Bill. Ad breaks. Me too. Just a I need nice to soothing ad break. Take a breath. Yeah. Do an ad. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Okay. Let's calm down and do an ad. Here's something you might not know. A vast majority of us have been brushing our teeth incorrectly. Go on. Oh my gosh. Go on. Either for not long enough or we're not changing the toothbrush with sufficient regularity and it gets old and crusty and dirty and weird. Are you guilty of that? I am definitely guilty of I well, not for the not part A. I brush my teeth for a good long time. Okay. But I let my toothbrushes fester for probably a little bit longer Your than Your habits I should. could be improved. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And that's where Quip might come in handy. That's right. Yeah. But what is Quip, Adam? Yes, what is Quip? Allow me to answer that rhetorical question. Please do. <laughs> for starters, Quip is an electronic toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost uh, compared to all the other kind of bulkier toothbrushes out there. Great. Here's the thing. I have it, and my favorite aspect is mm-hmm. its built-in timer. Mm-hmm. It has four 30-second pulses, and you're supposed to hit each quarter of your mouth. Great. For 30 seconds each. Okay. So it kind of – it's like I never know when I should be done brushing. Yep. Previous to my quip, I would just take my best guess. Exactly. They actually say, that's enough. Move on. Where That's enough. Move on. This is science. Quip isn't only just an electronic toothbrush. It's kind of a toothbrush coach. Yeah. It's coaching you. It's saying, you did it. Move to the next <laughs> level. Here's another nice thing about Quip. Yes. The subscription plans are for your health, not just your convenience. Great. Quip, uh, they deliver in nude brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Mm. $5. Free shipping. Mm. So you're getting new brush heads wow. for $5. It's amazing. Very nice. Yeah. Quip also comes with a mount, Adam. Cool. I'm a, I'm a gadget guy. You're, I know you're a gear guy. This is a thin mount, takes up little to no space, sticks to everything. That's Not suction cup sticks to everything, like new magic stick power. That's nice. It's so clean. And if you like, if minimalist is the new thing, yes. where you don't want a cup with five yes. toothbrushes and toothpaste everywhere, yes. this is the way to minimalize one toothbrush on the wall. I need that. That Quip. is what I need. I'm suctioned everywhere. I'm a mess in that department. Quip is truly a game-changing electronic toothbrush. Great. So here's where... Uh, the kind of 
no joke offer comes in. Cool. Quip starts at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash no joke right now, you'll get your first refill pack free. Wow. With a Quip electronic toothbrush. Okay. Once again, that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash no joke. Should I spell it out, Adam? Please do. Okay. If you want to get this special no joke offer, go to getquip.com slash no joke. Welcome back to No Joke. This is Act 3. Today we're talking about apologies. I just apologized to Bill in this break. Adam said, (laughs) and uh, truth be told, I listened to these episodes as we're talking (laughs) through them. And in my heart, I was like, this is a good episode. As soon as we went to the ad break, which, A, very soothing. So soothing. I feel way more relaxed. Really glad we read that ad. Um, Adam said, I've been yammering. And I said, that's an apology. Yeah, and you're 100% right. And we yammer, Ad. Yeah, that's what this is. If that's you, what these if microphones you, if are you for. Ever, if you, just so you know, <laughs> moving forward, you never have to apologize for yammering to me, yeah. and I will never apologize for yammering to you. Very good. We yammer. Very it's good. It's what we do. Yes. Don't apologize for who we are. Yes. That's really well said. Something that I love about you, Billy, and that I really – one of the reasons that I think our friendship has remained so strong and is ever stronger is because like there's that platitude or the cliches like love means never having to say you're sorry. But that is actually the quite the opposite. To me, it's like that – to me, like – I mean I get – I understand the ethos of that cute thing, which is like exactly kind of this like I don't have to apologize to you, Bill. You don't have to apologize to me because like we're intimates right. and we know each other right. and we know each other deeply, deeply. So like we understand. We've earned it. We've earned it. Right. Exactly. But like there's also the other side of that coin, which is like – which is like uh, I'm an apology apologist right now. Okay, I'm apolo- I, I I am literally an apology apologist. Work through it. <laughs> Work through it. Which is the, like it, it's it's respectful. It is it is like a respectful thing that if you fuck up or if you have offended someone, even if they're your best friend, even if they're your spouse, acknowledge like, it. Acknowledge it. Just no, to acknowledge no it. No pain in acknowledging it. That's right. We say it a million times in this podcast, but self-awareness will – like Yes. Y- that immediately unlocks anything. If I have ill will towards you, as long as I know that you know how you're presenting yourself, yes. I will be way more sympathetic to who you are. Yes. But you have to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well – and that's just like – it. just the Tina Fey thing really hit me. It was just like I – the difference between I understand and I will do better versus I'm sorry. Right. And like those are – that – And the mouthpiece – certain mouthpieces different. have different believability yeah, behind it. exactly. If someone really honestly says – and I believe them and I respect their character well before the mistake. Yeah. And they say I'm going to listen and learn from this moment. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize per se, but I recognize where I screwed up. Yes. More power to you. Yes, exactly. Not mad at that. Yeah. No. Um, why do you think uh, you, you – do you feel like you over-apologize? No. Or that, no. I think in the older I've gotten, the less I've uh, been compelled to apologize. Yes. And yes. I think that's only probably an age and status thing. Yes. To a certain extent. Yes. My instinct forever was to apologize if it felt like a social lubricant. You know what I mean? Yes. Just something where we just like take the edge off of if there is any miscommunication, allow me to acknowledge it. I'm happy to take the brunt. That's right. Whatever. That's right. I have the emotional capacity to be say I'm sorry even when I'm not because I think it will help this situation out. Same. But I do think that there's also something to be said for progress where you don't have to apologize. And I guess I'm speaking about this in a semi-professional way. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, like we both kind of work with a a variety of different employers and employees. And sometimes – over-apologizing can be the death of progress. That's because right. Because it's like an oversensitivity to everything. Yes. If you work in a quote-unquote safe and respectable environment, you assume that everyone is working with the best intentions yes. in mind. Yes. And, and therefore, they don't have to apologize in the micro moments. That's and right. I'm trying to 
live and behave in a way like that. To take that philosophy and just like move it into the real world. Like we don't need to be constantly apologizing for every micro, While micro, micro. With that said, yeah. I don't, I still very much maintain that social lubricant of if I do feel like I screwed up, always acknowledge it. Yes. Or if there's a place where I could have been better. Yes. Acknowledge it. Yes. You know, it's like be more self-aware, be more yes. open about what you know about yourself. Yes. Yeah. Larry David is also sort of a pillar of this philosophy. Like I believe, I, I think that I, I read somewhere that like one of the original titles for Curb Enthusiasm was Sorry, David. <laughs> I think was like, and it was, because like as much of a prick as like the Larry character is on the show and okay. as many wrongs and indiscretions as he perpetrates every episode all the time. Yes. He like what I love and respect and why I think that Larry is a weirdly noble character is because when he's wrong, he apologizes. Does he? When he's when he feels like he is truly wrong, Bested. he apologizes and he's happy to apologize. But that's rare. He never feels like he's wrong. But uh, I'm, like, you know what I mean? I, I'm trying to think of because that's certainly not true of every episode. That's right. Because I mean, his whole mo is he fights to the death to prove that he's right. And that's yeah. But I will say those moments where he does. Like kind of like cork his head a little bit and realize he's been bested. (laughs) Those are the most satisfying moments in the show. (laughs) Exactly. But I feel like he's actually so unapologetic. Yeah, he is. I I think, I mean, I wish I could pull up like a very specific example, but there, there is, I just feel like he has a sort of an an integrity of apology where it's like he does, he, when he feel like, when he feels like he is owed an apology, he will track it down. Got it. And when he feels like he owes one, he will give it up freely. So I, that's what I kind of appreciate about that archetype. Fair. Yeah. Um, We have a few minutes left out. Okay. I thought we have about eight minutes left. Great. But I'm curious if you ever, growing yes. up, yes. Um, ever had to apologize for something. <laughs> I can leave. I have a story in Please. mind that I remember was a particularly surprising thing. Everything happened fast Please. and suddenly I found myself apologizing. Please. And maybe it will inspire Please, an apology story for Please. me. Please. I was about, I was at School 5, Oceanside School 5 <laughs> yes. in New York, and probably like third or fourth grade, the age at which... Um, during lunch, if it was sunny out, it would be out, it would be called outdoor procedure. <laughs> Pro- pro- outdoor procedure? Outdoor procedure. Jesus. And you were allowed to play on the playground, <laughs> run in the field, just get all your energy out. Outdoor procedure. Procedure is maybe the least fun word in the language. Fair. In the language. Procedure. Fair. I, I operated as if it was a normal word outdoor in procedure. the vernacular. Love that. Outdoor procedure. <laughs> on this day, it was nice weather in New York, and so it was outdoor procedure. It was still a little chilly, mm-hmm. and I bring that up because kids on the playground were wearing mittens. Mittens, shoes, yep. you know, like boots. Yep. It's a little chilly, chilly, but you could. it was still warm enough for outdoor procedure. Procedure. Got it. So. <laughs> oh, God. Third or fourth grade. <laughs> and it's like the age where you're just like being like, I don't know why I'm picking on these girls, but like I, I'm in, I want to be around them. Right, right. The only best guess I have is to like pick on them. <laughs> exactly. I'm like too young to understand that like I'm attracted to That's them. That's right. Right. So I go up to this one girl. I'll leave her name out of it. And um, I don't know what to do, but I (laughs) take her shoe off her foot. She's sitting on a swing, and I throw it over the fence. Oh. I literally, as soon as I did it, my heart sank, and I was like, why did you do that? That was so mean. Take it, chuck it. So mean. Yeah. (laughs) And what I did next, I think, was equally, no, 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 much more stupid. Oh, God, Bill. Um, I knew that I was in trouble, and I didn't know what to do, so then I took her glove and threw it over the fence. Her glove? Yep. Double down. In trouble. Double down. Immediately. I'm in the, I'm in the principal's office. Prin- principal's not there. I'm sent to my classroom and I have to sit in my classroom and think about what I did. While I'm sitting in my classroom thinking about what I'm doing, I'm a young baby Bill yes. thinking, why did you throw her shoe and glove? It's so mean. Yes. Everything. Everything yes. you should be thinking in yes. that moment. The whole class comes back in and uh, she comes back in. She now has her glove and her shoe. Oh. I'm thinking, 
It's all passed. Scott free. We're good here. Okay, no harm, no foul. I, I didn't even throw her glove and shoe. Like, that was all. I made that up in my mind. Class doesn't start yet. Teacher's a little late. Teacher enters with the principal's office. And a uh, teacher enters with the principal. Uh, Mr. Chris and my principal, yes. uh, who was my principal, yes. asked me to stand up. He asks me to acknowledge what I did. And what I, I stood up, and I looked at all of my classmates, and I felt so bad. And then I looked at the girl in question, and I said, I threw her shoe and glove over a fence today. <laughs> and I remember everyone looking at me, and everyone oh. in the room was like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeling everyone being like, this is, this a, is, weird, weird. This is a weird thing. We this don't usually, weird. We've never done this before when someone gets in trouble. <laughs> and my principal was like, okay. And my teacher was like, okay. And I sat down. And for the rest of the day, that was one of the weirdest days of my life. But all I was asked to do. Acknowledge. 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 They knew that I really felt sorry. Yes. They knew. Yeah. They knew when I was in the principal's office, they knew that, like, Billy isn't the type. He's probably young and hormonal and yeah. confused right now. Yeah, exactly. But I remember watching that shoe go over the fence and just thinking, why'd I do that? Why'd you do that? Why'd Bill? I do that, that at all? That's not good. That's not good. But when the glove came off, Jesus oh, Christ. So what am I doing now? Bad point. I really like that. I, I have mixed feelings because it's like, I, I exactly, like, not like, Acknowledge, acknowledge. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Yep. Um, doing it publicly, like if I were the principal, I think I would have just taken you and uh, unnamed female yep. into the office and just had a private right. acknowledgement. Yep. The public thing really was like a little bit intent to shame you. I think was to do it. Be like worked, 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 worked. Did not throw any more shame shoes over works. the fence. Worked, worked. worked. Yeah, exactly. One little punch. Exactly. Right. Um, I, Did yeah. you ever throw any shoes over the fence? No, I didn't throw any shoes over a fence. But I, and I know I've told you this a thousand times, and maybe I've touched on this on the podcast. But I was a bad, I, I had a bad boy streak, <laughs> and I could be a bad, bad little boy. Uh -huh. And when I was in Hebrew school, there was a, you know all this, Bill. But there was a teacher, oh the window, the window. Yeah, love this story. This yeah. is a bad boy streak. Bad. This is bad. There was a teacher that I loathed who also happened to be a local cantor at one of the temples. So he had quite uh, – he was he had a lot of status in yep. the community. Yep. He sang. Um, he sang. He was the cantor and I hated him so much and the whole <laughs> class did so much. And I was a little precocious, a little shit. How old? Sixth grade. Yep. Eleven. Yep. Just like the shittiest. Yeah. The worst. Me too. Worst version of myself. Shoes over the fence. Yeah, by far. Got it. So confused, uh, hormonal. So confused. Yep. So confused. Yep. Wanted attention. Wanted to rebel. Didn't have any reason for either. Where's my nose going? Where, <laughs> exactly. Suddenly, I'm like the left side of my face this morning. <laughs> yes. So anyway, long story short, uh, this we were. He taught uh, Torah studies class. I just hated it. The whole year, I would I would disrupt the class. I would lead little chorus. Like I would I would lead the class in in a chorus while he was trying to teach. We would never listen to him. We would uh, throw his grade book. Uh, flush his grade book down the toilet we would throw shit at him hold on you put his grade book in the toilet and flush. tried to flush it it was small enough that it got down the toilet. rolled up rolled up rip pages out dump it down individual pages if you have to no way terrorism it made it down terrorism wow okay nice toilets nice toilets <laughs> that's the takeaway nice <laughs> i've never Strong flushed a plumbing. book i've never flushed a book down a toilet Go. This canter, this canter picked with the wrong sixth graders. Strong. Go on, strong plumbing. Okay, so it, it culminated in a one fateful day where there were like we had all these like desk chair units, heavy desk chair units, and we we're on the third floor of the building. You and swang for the fences. Swang for the freaking home run fences. You, you, I don't know if you popped out or hit a grand slam, but you went big. Uh, yeah, exactly. Took a big old swing. Bye. Opened the window. I enlisted one of my friends to help me lift the desk up. Brave I made friend. sure the canter was looking at me in the eye as if to be like, "I'm doing this. I'm murdering you." Exactly. Go on. Threw a desk chair, heavy wooden desk chair, out of a third story window. It plummeted, and I had the exact same sensation as you. Yep. When that glove was going over the fence, as soon as what the desk. What did I just do? Why? 
Yep. This was a mistake. Other kids go to jail for this. <laughs> like, this is a big mistake. Yep. This feels like a big old mistake. Did you apologize? The, the desk crashed. We had to have... I did not apologize. Could have killed, could have killed someone. For sure. Definitely. For certain. Yep. For certain. Yep. 30 feet up, sure. heavy-ass thing. Sure. Crashed. Um... Didn't apologize to him in the moment. I was too stunned. I was suspended post-haste. And then we had a psychologist, school psychologist, come to the school to sit us Fair. all down to have, like, Smart. a public, similar to your teacher yep. doing that to you. It was like, you are going to apologize in front of God and country and everyone right now. And? Did you? I did. Okay, good. I did, so I apologize there. Yes. Are you apologetic? Like, in retrospect, are you sorry for your actions? Well, here's the coda to that story. I was was very sorry, especially as I sort of aged into a more mature, humane version of myself. Yes. And I got to high school, and I was like, that was – you were an asshole, dude. Why did you throw a desk? What is wrong with you? We really threw stuff. Why are we – why do you – like, keep the desk – why are you throwing all these things? Boys are dumb. Why Boys are so dumb. Why do you harass this man who's just a man right. trying to get through the world that's impossible out here? You're making it so hard for this man. Might why? have been a jerk. Might have been a jerk. Might have been a jerk. I trust your instincts to a certain Might have degree. been a jerk. And the, the – Dakota was that it came out later. Years later, Go. I got I was in my dorm room freshman year of college. I got a news clipping from my mother that said that this very cantor was not only fired but arrested for um, sexual misconduct and uh, neat be, being weird. Neat. So, neat. <laughs> so that honestly, and maybe this is not the right lesson for the episode, but all my uh, apo- all my guilt and all my apology feelings were. quickly just airbrushed out of there and I felt weirdly righteous there you go so you identified a problem see something say something (laughs) see something throw something see something throw something (laughs) something. unless it's an adorable nice girl's shoe or don't do that don't see that don't throw that see that don't let her have it alright some crisscrossed messages yeah exactly some crisscrossed lessons in this episode we're not perfect still a big fan of the app yeah and uh I won't apologize for that me neither that was the apologies episode yes sir for it I am Billy Scafuri I'm Adam Lustig like always we will talk to you next week thanks a lot That was a HeadGum Podcast.